2: from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Oregon had its local media day in Eugene today. Dan Lanning, Bo Nix, all of the Oregon Ducks talking. Who's going to start at quarterback in the opener? I think it's Bo Nix. I think we all think it's Bo Nix. Why won't Oregon say that? Well, Oregon's playing the game that everybody else is playing, I think. Matt Preem, 24-7 sports. He's all over the Ducks. We're going to talk some college basketball as the Ducks have had some encouraging developments on the recruiting front in basketball. But we'll talk some college football as well with Matt Preem, And he's back and he's here. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good, John. Uh, I guess football season for you and I is officially here because Oregon had its Annual media day at Austin. Thirty-two football players spoke. Dan Lanning spoke, and uh, this may be a little bit of sucking up to the SIDs at Oregon, but new new format for media day, and I think it was a huge success. We learned a lot more. Players were engaged more because they weren't sitting around for an hour. Uh, it was good event.
0: Give me an idea when you. Go to like Pac-12 media day, and then you go to the Oregon Ducks media day. How different those two events are! Because a lot of fans and readers, listeners, never get to go.
1: Oh yeah, it's totally different. Um, the environments are different. Pac-12 media day, it's it's hard for someone like you and I who covers the team uh, on a day-to-day basis to really get the questions in during the media scrum availability that you're wanting to ask, because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't really familiar with the team. And so they're asking like NIL questions. They're asking goofy questions. They're asking realignment questions, things that sometimes often players don't have anything to do with. They're just getting these quotes. And I understand that they're, this is a hot topic. They have to be discussed. Um, And so at PAC 12 media day, I, I get the most information when I get a player one-on-one off to the side at lunch or when they're transitioning from radio row down to uh, press row. Um, and then at, at Oregon media day, that that is like a Trevor Trove of information for someone like myself, because the way it was set up today, uh, four players spoke for 15 minutes and then another group of four players would rotate in. And they did that for two and a half hours. And I mean, I, I, I was at one station for almost the entire time. I, I got 15 minutes with Bo Nix, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Jeffrey Bossa, Brandon Dorliss. Uh the list goes on. And you learn so much about these guys. You get good information. And then Dan Lanning uh, is very much uh, in tune of, of football mode. He's not being asked a lot of questions about realignment, about NIL, uh, it, about recruiting, about TV deals. Uh, he's talking strictly ball for the most part at Oregon Media Day, so we learn more there too as well.
0: Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports with us. Uh, Bo Nix, he talked today. He looked good okay. in the spring game. He looked like he's the starter, but uh, I think Oregon is going to play this very carefully because it's a game you got to play right now. Um, what are they looking for from Bo Nix in fall camp right now?
1: You know, Landing was asked, like, ultimately what's going to decide uh, who wins this job? What are the traits that you are looking for? And the first thing he said was an understanding of the system that they want to run. Um, and then it's the second one is can you get the ball to an open receiver and then the guy that also doesn't turn the football over. And so I think, one, it's, you have to have total command of the offense. Landing says all three guys have that. Number two and number three are, are ones that will have to be played out during the football season, uh, during fall camp, is, all right, who, who's the guy that gives us the best chance to keep the football and move it down the field? Later on in, 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 in the media day, Lanning talked about how the quarterbacks have to have the confidence, have to have the trust factor with the receivers to push the football down the field through the air, uh, take deep shots, and the ones that can that – can do that successfully on a consistent basis will be in a good position to play right away because he has to be you have to take shots and you have to be able to loosen up that defense Bo Nix I asked him about that and he he said that not only is it important for him to be able to connect downfield with his receivers but if he can do that that actually makes the run game even more successful and helps the run game because it'll make the defense so concerned about getting beat over the top. So I think ultimately what Oregon's asking Bo Nix to do is separate yourself by showing the command of the offense. A lot of people credited him already for his leadership there. And then number two and three, don't turn the football over and create some explosive plays.
0: Matt Prem, twenty four seven Sports, with us. Give me in a guy that you know you got to talk to today that that you learned a lot about that maybe surprised you. Uh, you know you've been around this team a lot, but. Every year is a new year, and you see real growth and maturity, I think, every year in these guys.
1: Um, can I go back to Paxwell Media Day and give yeah. that answer instead? Yeah, yeah. Because it's, D- it's DJ Johnson. Um, this is a dude that has played tight end for three years out of Oregon. He's moving to defensive end full-time for the first time. Uh, and I got about 15 minutes of just him and me talking. And this is a guy that's married. He's trying to buy a house so that he can reinvest that house into generating income, I, I believe, through rental. Uh, he's into stocks. He's he's into figuring out ways to use his NIL. He has a lot of NIL deals, uh, but he's using those deals to fund other passive-aggressive income for himself. Uh, he breeds dogs. He's I, I think I said he's married. He's just not your typical guy that you think of, when it's college athletics, uh, and especially a college football player. And he's someone that, quite frankly, the first few years at Oregon, I didn't really want to talk to him because every time we did, it was, it, it was difficult to get stuff out of him. Um, I don't know why. Uh, and then on top of that, his availability was extremely limited for whatever reason. This season, I already can tell he's going to be one of Oregon's better interviews this season. I uh, don't call it, maybe it's maturation, a guy playing his, his final year of college football. Uh, it, it, he's just got a cool story. He had over 100 scholarship offers, John, coming out of high school. I don't think I can – I've I've followed recruiting for a long time. I've covered it for a long time. I can't tell you another recruit that had over 100 scholarship offers in high school.
0: Yeah, he, he told me he was starting the side hustle breeding dogs and, uh, yeah. you know, his eyes lit up. Like, that That consumed like half of our interview, him talking about, you know, what goes into being a breeder of dogs and why he got into it, and uh yeah. really good kid. Uh, Matt, let me ask you, you know, the questions for Oregon in fall camp. Are they on the offensive side or the defensive side in your mind?
1: I think a lot of it's just going to naturally gravitate to what – does Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, what does his offense look like? Is it successful? What can the offense do when they get pushback? When what the adjustment to the adjustment? Um, I, I think Mario Cristobal's tenure at Oregon. Sometimes they were really good coming out of the jump, and then when the opponent made an adjustment, it took Oregon a while offensively to to adjust to the adjustment, and. You know, that was what I think separated Chip Kelly from everybody when he was at head coach at Oregon. I feel like the first couple of seasons at Oregon for Mark Helfrich, it was similar. And even Willie really Taggart's offenses were pretty prolific. Uh, they were able to put up some big points when Herbert was healthy. Um, that's one. That's going to be one of my questions at, at, on the offensive side of the ball, and it's I, I've got more concerns, or I don't know if there are concerns, but questions on offense than I do defense. The, the, the defense has an All American and, and Noah Sewell. They have another potential. Uh, NFL-caliber player in Justin Flo if he can stay healthy. Brandon Dorlitz will be an NFL guy. I think they have other NFL players in the secondary. Christian Gonzalez could be one if he has a really big year. He could be a one-and-done transfer for Oregon as a cornerback. I think Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams are really good safety. They've got talent there. I don't know if Oregon has an All-American on the offensive side of the football. They could maybe have a guy that's got the, the ceiling to get there, but is that – a realistic expectation to to call on. I don't know. And so, how can this team, without a potential All American on it, execute at a high level collectively? Play really well as a group because that's that's how they're going to be elite. It's, they're going to play really good as a unit. There's not going to be one or two guys that just carry all the water for this offense. Uh, and then the and then the offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. You know, he's done it a couple years at a couple other schools, but. You know, it's it's still his his first time play, you know, as a play caller. That, that's got some questions to me.
0: Matt Prime, twenty four seven Sports is with us. The running back position, you got Travis Die over at USC. How do they replace his production?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, they've got options, that's for sure. It's been a long time since Oregon has had eleven scholarship or walk on running backs on roster. That's a lot of guys. Um, when Travis I transferred to USC, that left Oregon with two players, Sean Dollars and Byron Cardwell. Dollars coming off a major injury. Uh, it, Dollars was limited in, in, in snaps that he played as a true freshman in 2021, although he did lead the conference in yards per carry and ran for 400 and I think 15 yards. He so had limited numbers but really good production, and since then, uh, Marquise Irving from Minnesota, uh, he was a freshman last season, ran for over 700 yards. Noah Whittington was a freshman for Western Kentucky, and they were one of the better offenses in the country last year. He played significantly for them. Jordan James feels like this is a guy from Atlanta, Georgia, because a, maybe a true freshman, he, Dan Lanning flipped him from Georgia. Um, this is going to be another guy that could push his way into the mix. I think it's going to, how they make up for Travis Dye is doing it collectively. Um, they've got five running backs on, on scholarship, and it wouldn't surprise me if all five of them play. Uh, and Because they're, they're all different types. You've got your all-purpose guy. You've got your traditional running back. You've got your bigger back. Uh, they've got all types of backs on this roster. And I think collectively it's going to be one of those deals where maybe they don't have one guy that is a 1,200-yard rusher and 1,800 all-purpose yards and 20 total touchdowns. But collectively, as a unit, they can exceed those numbers.
0: Matt Prame with us, 24-7 sports. I want to shift to basketball. Uh, Oregon basketball gets uh, a pretty good week for them. Tell me about Kwame Evans. Tell me what's going on with Dana Altman's program.
1: Yeah. Uh, There was a year ago when, when assistant coach Tony Stubblefield left the program to become head coach at DePaul, the question I got from a lot of people was, oh boy, that was that was Altman's big recruiter at Oregon. Is there going to be a dip? Uh, Altman went out and hired Chris Crutchfield. Um, he replaced Stubblefield. and all Oregon did was sign one of its best recruits in program history, and Kalil Ware, who's on campus today. And when Crutchfield got the head coaching job at Omaha of Nebraska, the same question popped up again. Oh boy, what's going to happen? Oregon's in trouble here because. He, Crushfield served as a recruiter for Mookie Cook, who was a five-star that he committed. He served as a recruiter for Kwame Evans, and Oregon lost Mookie Cook's uh, commitment. He opened things back up, and then Kwame Evans all of a sudden started trending to the Arizona Wildcats. And Alma needed some time. He needed to you know just adjust, hire a new coach, Chuck Martin and the program landed Kwame Evans. He's the number two rated player in program history to commit to Oregon. Five-star player. The only guy rated higher than him is Bull Bull. And I know Bull Bull didn't play a lot at Oregon, but go pop in his stats in his seven games, he was averaging like 20 and 12, was on pace to have a freshman All-American season. Am I going to say that's what Kwame Evans is going to do as a freshman? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. But this is a guy that NBA scouts like. This is a guy that – a lot of schools across the country wanted and, and in a short period of time after readjusting, figuring things out after Crutchfield's departure, Altman made a hire, they got back involved with Kwame Evans and ultimately spun him back to Oregon, got his commitment, and this now puts Oregon right back in a prime position to get the commitment a second time from Mookie Cook. That's where things are trending. Cook and Evans are close friends. They want to play high school they want to play college ball together. Uh, he's Cook is friends with Wes Lynn's Jackson Shelstead, who's a top 100 prospect committed to Oregon in the same class. Um, I think Altman has put to bed that he, any kind of concerns about him and, and the program's recruiting, there shouldn't be any more. Uh, that they, they are on track to potentially sign the best class in program history, which was that 2018 class with two five-stars in Lewis King and Bull Bull. And what makes this one unique is, John, if they can get Milky Cook back into the fold, That gives Oregon two top ten players in the class of 2023. That's never happened before at Oregon.
0: Give me an idea. You know, Altman's 64. It kind of feels like he's got this window. Uh, He doesn't play like he's 64 or coach like he's 64. I I think he's probably got three or four more seasons before we really start to ask, like, hey, how much do you want to do this? Do you have a sense with Dana Altman how much more he's got in the tank?
1: Yeah. He, he was asked that question at Pac-12 media day uh, ahead of last season. And he kind of was just like, what else am I going to do? You know, I, I, I love coaching. I, my family lives in Eugene and you know, his wife Reva would kick him out. He said, if he stayed at home too long, he'd just get a little restless. Um, and so I, I'm with you. I think he's going to be in Eugene a while now. What happens if they get to a final four run and in two years, you know, when, when Kwame Evans and then this other, you know, class of freshmen are all uh, guys on the team and do, do they get to the final four and do they get to the championship game or do they lose a, a tight one in, in the final four round? Does he pull a Jay, right? And just say, you know what? I made it back to the top of this sport almost as high as you could go. This was a good run. I'm one of the best coaches in, in the sport. Currently I'm retiring. I, I would be shocked, but it, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I don't. I, I think. I think how last season ended maybe has, has re a fire in him. He's really motivated. I know he's really upset at and frustrated at how uh, poor that year went with the expectations that that team had to get them there. He and he places he places the blame on himself all the time. He doesn't blame the players. He, he blames that he couldn't figure out how to get that team to work. And part of me kind of thinks that might have added a couple extra years uh, to his coaching career, just because he wants to get back. And 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 he gets so up. He's so he's one of the most competitive guys I've been around. I mean, he gets so upset when they have seasons like that, and he wants to show that you know that's not who the Oregon basketball program is under his watch.
0: Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports, I really appreciate you joining us. I'm excited about this season. I know all the drama of the conference and everything is dominating. There's a lot of anxiety out there. But I think, you know, we're all looking forward to some football and, you know, the escape that it's supposed to be. That, that's what's bothered me in this whole thing, Matt, is like this sports are supposed to be an escape. And here we are, you know, talking about the business of sports and fretting over the dollars and the TV contracts. And so I love that we're, talking, we're finally talking some football.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it it. I hate how we're having to cover what TV networks get, how much money per you know per market, and you know cable tiers and TV market tiers. Like that's just that's not why I got into this. It's, it's not. I understand that that this is big business now, and that those things need to to happen. But I, I just it frustrates me that we're making decisions solely based off of TV markets or um, tiers of uh, of revenue streams and not yeah. on who are the best teams and give me the best teams and let's figure it out and i don't care where they come from if they're all from the sec they're all from the sec but if if the best 25 teams are are spread out across the country i want to see the best teams play each other and unfortunately it's starting to look like we might not see some of that or or some schools could be left out because they're not in some big market which just doesn't doesn't make sense to me when when it's college athletics uh it, it's a weird time football hopefully being played will die those discussions down a little bit but unfortunately it's it's important news it's important information that we have to know about and we have to learn about because if we don't uh you know if, if these discussions don't happen you know some, some schools could get left in the dust
0: matt Prem, you're the best thank you for joining us always good to hear from you
1: i appreciate it thanks john sure.
0: Here he is. I've got some burning questions for this college football season. I'll share them next.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Burning questions for the Pac-12, for the Oregon Ducks, for Oregon State. I've got them. Before that, though, I got, I got to say something. Do you have a comfort food? Steven, Sean, do you guys have, like, a comfort food that, like, what popped into your head when I said those words? Comfort food. What is your comfort food?
3: Well, I think I can eat uh, just pizza at any point. And yeah. it's a comfort food because it, I just keep going back. It's one of those things, like, if there's a slice of pizza out, I'm not going to decline it. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to go back for another, and then another, and then another, and then, oh, there's a new flavor? Yeah, give me that one. So... I think for me, like comfort food, that that'd be pizza for me.
2: I I eat probably two bowls of oatmeal every day, and I'm talking good oatmeal. Like I'm talking, you know, real real oats, not the uh, not the bags of sugar that you can buy at the store. Like real oats, Mm -hmm. peanut butter, frozen fruit, protein powder. I make a delicious bowl of uh, of oatmeal, and I probably have about two bowls every day.
0: That is healthy. You are a healthy person. You're. I'm a pretty healthy person. Yeah, I'm pretty healthy too. Yeah, that is a humble brag right there. The guy's eating oatmeal. That's his comfort food. I only bring it up because uh, I'm, a, I'm a pasta guy, and I grew up in, like Italian family. We, we had pasta more than once a week growing up. That's what we ate, grandma's sauce. Uh, we, uh, we were all taught, all the grandkids were taught how to make grandma's sauce. Before we went off to college and then, you know, I cooked it through college and then I found myself like teaching Anna who did not grow up eating pasta. She grew up eating Asian food. She grew up eating like, you know, real Chinese food, not the kind of Chinese food that I ate when I went to a Chinese restaurant. But like the first time I met uh, Anna's mom, in fact, uh, I came in. She was in our kitchen and there was a chicken in a pot and, and the chicken still had the head on it. And Anna's mom was in a shower cap. And I was like, she's cooking in a shower cap with a real chicken with a head, with a eyes and a face on this chicken looking at me out of the pot. And I was like, this is new. Uh, and so I think my wife's comfort foods tend to be like the food she grew up eating with her mom. And I agree with Steven. Like, if there's pizza around, I'm all about it. But it's grandma's pasta and the pasta sauce. I got to tell you, like, Anna made the sauce yesterday while I was on air during the show. And – she came in during commercial break. My mouth's literally watering right now as I talk about this. Uh, she came into the commercial break, and she said, um, hey, what do I do once the sauce is kind of cooked? I can't just leave it kind of simmering all day, can I? And I said, you can, but you're going to need to add some water to it. Otherwise, yeah, it would just dry out, and you end up with paste at the bottom of the pot. So you got to – you know, either you could – if you've cooked it for a couple hours, you can kind of back it off and just let it – let it uh, you know sit with the pot you know with the lid on the pot or you can add some water to it. And I, after the show yesterday, I was so excited to have the pasta because I could smell it and I could smell that it was cooked right. And by right I mean it was cooked like my grandmother would cook it. And I gotta say I told her this yesterday that um, I she nailed it like she nailed it. It was I, I think we've been married like 12 years and yesterday, was the best sauce she's ever made and all my italian friends are gonna blow up my phone now going how come you didn't invite me over all this other stuff but she nailed it home run and it was so good that i don't know if you guys have ever done this i ate and i was full but i just kept eating for a while because it tasted so good i was kind of eating for the taste for a while after and i kept saying to her this is so good you like home run nailed it and the best part is she made so much that I could eat it for like days, so uh, and I'll have it for breakfast. I don't even care. Uh, anything about that relate to you, Stephen Sean? Like, do you have a family recipe that you learned, or some kind of recipe you're going to teach your kids? Uh, I don't necessarily
3: have a recipe per se. Um, my dad kind of makes a buffalo wing sauce that is really delightful. That we he's kind of passed on to me and my wife, so we do that. Uh, but it just you that story reminded me of uh, this past weekend. My buddy, it was his birthday. And so we just had street tacos and we made steak and shrimp and chicken. um, And we had, you know, nacho cheese. We had pico de gallo. We had all the, all the makings. And I wasn't hungry. And I just kept going back and like picking up a piece of steak and eating it or picking up a piece of chicken and eating it. Now, you know what? I'm going to throw in these homemade tortillas that I I, uh, oiled up, you know, and it was just delightful. And so, yeah, I I know exactly what you're saying. When you smell those type of smells, you know, you're going to go back for more and you're not even hungry.
2: Yeah, not a specific recipe, but I know that I'm gonna pass down the, uh, you know, the pancake Sunday, or you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna inherit the pancake Sunday. I've talked about it on the show
0: before. Whoa, whoa, and, wait, 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 tell us about the pancake Sunday.
2: Yeah, a I talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago on this show, but every every Sunday morning it's pancakes, and my dad used to make us pancakes um, before we even woke up. Like you, you'd pop out of bed and you you'd smell the. Uh, You'd smell chocolate chip pancakes yeah. every Sunday. and you would, That's a good memory. Yeah, it's uh, and you have those right before you dive into some NFL football. I always loved Sundays growing up.
0: Love that. See, that's – and I think part of that, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of it is just the connection of family and your dad and the fact that, like, as a kid you wake up and dad's got you covered.
2: Yeah, no, and we totally embraced it. You know, uh, we ended up, like – Christmas or birthday, like, we'd buy him a new griddle or a new spatula, or we bought him, like, a, uh, a Miami Dolphins apron, his favorite team, um, which is, un- it's an unfortunate team to have right now, but, uh, yeah, like, it was just a, it was a great family experience, like, I feel like those, when, when the family's busy throughout the week and everyone's doing their own thing, like, you know, it's, it's super important to have those, you know, Sunday, maybe it's Sunday for most people, like, kind
3: of get-togethers. It's a nice uh, Merry Christmas to your dad. Hey, Merry Christmas dad. Now go make me some pancakes.
0: <laughs> Invite him over. Could your dad come over, spend the night and make us all pancakes? <laughs> Is that how we do it? Yeah. I love he,
2: it. Yeah, he's in Arizona now, so.
3: A
0: station a station pancake party? Yeah, we do pancake. We could we could have like a pancake fundraiser and Sean's dad cooks pancakes for like, you know, 20,000 listeners. Let's know, do P- it. Peter's down with some ribs I and mean, he'll cook up some ribs and bring them. In. <laughs> I'm just telling you, though, there's something about a good pasta sauce. It's got to have meat in it. It's got to be a red sauce, not not nothing else. You know, my, my parents will make pesto, whatever, it's fine. But Grandma's red sauce with the sausage in it, a little spicy, spicy Italian sausage in it, oh, man, that's where it's at. All right, I do have burning questions. I'll share them coming up. One of my burning questions is, why is Ty Thompson still at Oregon? I'll answer that, what I think the answer is, next.